Get personal with loyalty, where we're discussing using loyalty to deliver personalized, relevant customer experiences. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. I am your host, Erin Reese, and today I'm here with Olga. I'm, I'm okay with just being known as Olga, the Olga. Olga Lopategi. Thank you, Olga. Olga is the founder of Restaurant Loyalty Specialists. So welcome, Olga. I'm so excited Good. to have a conversation with you today. Thank you. I'd love to get started and learn a little bit about your background. You've been in the restaurant space for a really long time, but not sure where loyalty came into play. So curious how you, how you yeah. got that bug. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, loyalty, I'm a uh... For someone who's been doing a lot of loyalty in the past four or five years, I'm actually relatively new to the loyalty space. I've been in restaurants for a very long time. My first um, venture into the restaurant world was back in 2005 when I started out with um, Young Browns, with International Division of Young Browns, where I worked on Pizza Hut, mostly Pizza Hut, a little bit of KFC. And then from there, I transitioned over to TGI Fridays a few years later and worked through various mostly marketing roles, but with some some variation on some functional excursions to the side. So yeah, lots of experience in restaurants. Loyalty, I had um, a number of experiences with loyalty platforms and loyalty marketing in my marketing role, both back and the last distant past at TJ Friday. So I was always really interested in how you can use this technology to market better, market more efficiently. It was obvious that the traditional model of advertising is, was starting to change about 10, 15 years ago. And particularly for smaller brands, they were unable to purchase airtime the way that big brands have always been able to and still still can. So loyalty marketing and this cha- this whole channel was really interesting and exciting for me. So at that time, I did a bunch of work helping my franchisees um, most international franchises look at their loyalty, potential loyalty providers, work with a number of companies, getting them implemented, and kind of got familiarized with the space. After that, I took a little break, had a couple of kiddos, took it slow, and then figured I'll jump back into it and decided that loyalty is both interesting and the hot thing that I can add some value on and learned everything I could about loyalty in general and the restaurant loyalty specifically. And here we are, a few years later, functional, effective loyalty consulting practice targeted just to the restaurant chains. Congratulations. What a great story. All the conversations I have with people, nobody really sets out to say, I'm going to do customer loyalty, right? <laughs> it kind of comes uh-huh. along and you you start looking and sniffing around like, oh, yeah, customers are important. How can we, how can we really... Uh, work to keep them. So very interesting. So I know as we were prepping to have this conversation, we were chatting a little bit about some of the trends that are happening in the space. And we're hearing a lot of people talk about, oh, well, we don't need points anymore, or transactional loyalty was a thing of the past, and we really need to be about experiences. And you stop and think about restaurants, especially QSR, It's so different than people think of when they're thinking about loyalty in general and what it could be and what it should be, because with QSR, people really can come every day. So it is very transactional. Really curious as to, is that how you're coaching your your clients as 
it's okay to be transactional and the concepts of the punch cards and you get something free in, in a near term, or is it experiential or is it a combination of both? Just really curious as to, to where QSR sits in that whole ecosystem, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we work with not just QSR, but also some casual dining brands, fast casual, but I think the answer is the same or close enough for everybody. It's not either or, it's and, and it's a question of balance of how much of which emotional, uh, kind of higher, higher level emotional experiential versus transactional, how much of which do you want to do? Both of them work. Some of them are more straightforward. So if you're doing transactional loyalty, if you get it right, it's like a machine, right? You send the offer out to the right people, you get the expected return, you get the expected redemption rate, you get the expected traffic increase, your gross and net um, sales increase associated, and you get the expected discount going up or down, well, depending on what what you're what you're doing. So your transactional transactional loyalty levers they are extremely helpful. They are there, and if you operate it long enough within with the brand, you know exactly what you're going to get. So it's a very 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 good tool to move your numbers in the direction you want them to <laughs> fairly quickly. Understanding that it's very hard to increase sales while keeping the discount line at the same level. So you, you sometimes something's got to give, but you can play it to where it balances where you want it to be at that point in time. So that's the benefit of transactional. And the vast majority of work that we do is in that loyalty transactional space. And the reason for it is because it's I'm I'm an extremely practical person myself, <laughs> and I like to know quickly and confidently that what I'm doing is adding value. And mm-hmm. with a transactional loyalty, it's really easy to measure. You throw in a couple control groups. You say, okay, these people bought more. These people bought less. This is how much more they bought. This is how much more discount they got. And you're like, okay, this campaign made this much money. Having said that, this is wonderful, but it's not the whole story. The other part of the story is the user experience. It's their emotional connection to the brand. And that's driven by a lot of other things that help women and help our clients um, with on a regular basis. But you have to understand that when you talk about impact of emotional loss, loyalty, loyalty uh, impact of user experience, um, being top of mind, it's substantially harder to measure substantially harder to measure. So you kind of have to go with, I think it's the right thing to do. We're going to continue doing it. You hope and pray that it plays out the way you want it over the course of the following 6, 12, 18 months, because you're not going to get the lift right away. Both are, I don't know if that's answering your question. Both are super yeah. important. Yeah, um, no, it, it does. And it's making me think yeah. too, I have two questions in there, completely different directions, but as you were talking, I almost wonder if, and I don't know if you do this with your clients, but it almost seems like in the restaurant space, maybe starting with a program that's transactional, get it going, get people interested, get the return, and then overlay the experience pieces once you've proven it out. And then you could potentially, hopefully, then you see a lift that's further because of the experience aspect versus if you start with the experience is it could take a lot longer to prove it out or it may be a little bit harder to to show that return. And then I think the the last piece of where I, my head was going is, especially if you have franchisees, right? Because you're going to have to prove extra to them. Is that, do I have that? Yep. 
you're gonna you're gonna have to starting from the end. Yes, you absolutely have to prove extra to them and anything related to the, the that emotional loyalty lift. Any of that is going to be generally more difficult for the franchisees to execute because anything you do in the transactional space, it's the stuff they do every day. It's your okay. It's the same food, just a little bit of a discount. It's a slightly differently packaged number of items together in a group. But it's all the things that they're already doing. It's part of their normal everyday routine. When you start adding into the emotional and experiential benefits, you're throwing in things they normally don't do. And I don't know if an example of a T-shirt or a brand cap or whatever is is a good example of a reward for emotional loyalty. Most brands don't carry that around. right? So you have to build a whole infrastructure of providing those physical rewards that are part of your emotional loyalty. If it's experiences, oh, my God, you know. Chef driven dinner or a, a session with the uh, the restaurant chef, star bartender creating whatever concoctions for for the rest. Like this is good examples of yeah. common right. restaurant experiential experiential rewards that we have seen different brands pull off. How much work goes into getting that together? How many franchisees have the resources to actually pull off tasting a custom wine tasting? So. Uh, how much work goes into that. And then on those types of things, it is very hard to measure immediate return, right? Because return is long-term, very long-term. So that's why it's easier to build it up as a transactional. And frankly, if you want to build your database, you have to give people something, not the promise of some brilliant future. But if you want their email today, you got to give them something today that they value, whether it's jump the line at a very busy restaurant or free appetizer, but they will not become part of your database unless you offer them something. (laughs) uh, It generally needs to be a physical item. Right. And I think when I I tend to think more retail when I think loyalty, I'm sure we all have our own frame of reference. And I always think that, oh, if you just give me a little more data or if I were to give a little more data, you could tell me what the next thing I might want is. And it's not really the same from a restaurant perspective because you probably don't know enough about me. And and even if you got to know what my particular diet was on any given day, I might want to be bad and have you know, the burger versus the salad <laughs> or dessert yeah. or what have you. Well, you know, like in my in my experience, it's actually people are simpler than we we try to make them out to be. Generally, people that purchase X. If they purchased X three times, chances are they're going to continue purchasing X. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is said that we're predictable uh, like that. <laughs> but essentially, uh, you will see, you won't see a lot of people straying from their favorites for the restaurants that they frequent because they go there because they like those items. Um, obviously, there are exceptions and so on. But essentially, from what, everything that we're, we're seeing, people people tend to flock to the same location, even though that particular restaurant may have a lot of locations. Again, there are exceptions. Like, for example, like my family, we eat at McDonald's when we're on the road. We almost never eat at McDonald's when we are in town, but when we're on the road, that's a default stop. Right. Because it's predictable and kids like it and bathrooms tend to be clean and <laughs> all of that good stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> they have the, the pancakes, yep. <laughs> so, but generally what you see was with the majority of the guests, they frequent the same location over and over and over. They don't stay too far away and they tend to order more or less the same things. You can get them to try some other things that are adjacent to whatever they've 
typically order, you get the best results generally in trying to increase their frequency by promoting whatever they already like, something very adjacent to it. So if you're normally a salad eater, chances are throwing a steak at you, it's probably not going to work. It's super interesting. And as loyalty marketers sitting kind of on the outside, I think we have a tendency to hypothesize what could be or should be and and always, I guess, want to make it more complex or I think maybe in our minds we're making it more sexy. But I think there were a couple of examples that came to mind as you were talking. I want to say that there was a time when Starbucks was doing that where the reward was a bakery item. So the people that are coming in all the time getting coffee oh, here, you get this for free or that for free. And it was a bakery item. And I remember having a lot of discussions around it at the time, but that's not necessarily what that person wants. So is that really valuable? And are they, are you really going to, and I think from the organization, from the Starbucks perspective at that point, it was, how do I get introduced trial and get people trying these things? But the reality is if I always come in for a cup of coffee after I've had breakfast, I don't want that. (laughs) And I'm never really going to order it. Remember, there was also a retailer, it was a a craft company, and they were convinced that they could have people shopping across the the store. But then when they really honed in on who their best customers were, they were very particular people doing particular things. And they were never going to go into, they were sewers or knitters or something like that, Mm -hmm. and they were never going to go do crafts. It just wasn't part of who they were, part of their DNA. And so you were just really missing the mark on on marketing to these people because you really didn't know who they were and you didn't know what they wanted. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the interesting challenge was that restaurants is that when somebody rolls into your loyalty program, you really don't know what they like until they make their first purchase. And when you give them some product-based offer as an incentive to, to join the program that they redeem, you you have to be slightly skeptical because you don't know if they got that item because it was free or because they actually wanted it. Because there's a large number of the population because as well, it's a chicken salad. It's free, I'll take. If it wasn't free, I'd probably order something else, a bowl or whatever. So your initial purchase may actually be slightly skewing what that customer would be doing. Not that it's the end of the world, right? But you just have to be cognizant of it. So, but you have to allow those customers to build some level of purchase history with you. And then you can say, hey, well, they come in the cadence, they tend to like these items, so they probably will like those items, but let's mostly target them with what they like, and let's target them on a cadence that we think makes sense based on what they've been doing before. Don't throw the discounts at them too early, and don't uh, try to lure them in too late when they've already forgotten completely who we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it normally a pickup of frequency? Or basket size? Because again, to what we're talking about, it seems like there's probably less opportunity to increase basket. Do you want dessert? Did you want a cookie? Do you want that? Versus why don't you just come again with a loyalty program? Or do you, you see both? Really? You could do either. You know, it's like a car. You drive it whichever way you want. Right? It's hard to do both. But if you want to increase basket size, there are plenty of ways to increase basket size. So one of the things that we do with a lot of our clients is we we work with them to train their customers to cross a threshold, right? So like, for example, with one of the coffee chain clients, what we do is a lot of their guests never spend more than five bucks because they buy the most inexpensive coffee. So we'll send them an offer. You get free X when you spend six. You get a free X when you spend seven. You do it three, four, five times. Suddenly they're mentally like, oh, well, I guess I can spend six bucks. 
so gradually you're shifting them past that threshold. And then you don't do it just with the very low spenders. You take the ones that usually come in and spend eight, and you try to push them just a little bit past 10. And the first couple of times, they actually get a discount, a substantial discount, but then gradually they are like, yeah, I guess it's not that bad. I guess I could splurge a little bit. And so you get them into that habit, but you can't push somebody who is spending $8 a pop on average to go and spend 16 yeah. You have to go in those little brackets and you have to be patient about it and over time it builds up. But if you're expecting some kind of miracle to happen from one promotion and get everybody to suddenly spend whatever you, you imagine, usually doesn't happen that way. I love that. And I don't hear that talked about enough. I think a lot of times people, oh, we're A-B testing. We're going to test this and we'll test this. And if we don't get the right response and forget it. But I really like how you talked about the incentive and then creating the habit. And I also don't think we talk about habit enough when Mm -hmm. we talk about loyalty. And I love the debate of habit versus emotion, because I truly believe that a habitual customer who's not really thinking about me (laughs) is probably far more valuable than the one that's going to get emotional and probably less expensive too, because the emotional one, even though they feel a bond, they may have good days and bad days and I may be hearing about it. And they may actually then ultimately cost me more. So being able to get them in, get them hooked, and slowly move them up, I think that's genius. Yeah, and it's a lot lot of it is obviously transactional. And you're trying to get people into the habit. You're not pretending to provide some superior level of emotional connection here. But you're getting them used to, hey, here is a place to go. The parts that are... Absolutely mission critical that you cannot really do this without is your technology has to support this. So if your app fails half the time, if your baristas cannot scan the receipt, if it takes too long to place an order, or if you cannot easily reorder, if you have to punch your credit card number in every time, nothing you do on loyalty and repeat purchase is actually going to make much difference. Because the technology has to support it, you have to remove the friction as much as possible. So that is almost a prerequisite. So, but even if as a brand, if your technology is not quite in the right place, you can still you can and should be building your database. Even if you still, if, even if you can't really get those people to use it, move the needle continuously. Even if that's the case, there is a lot of value in the acquisition because even if you just do email marketing to those people that are in your database and they're self-selected. Just that alone is going to make an impact. It's just hard, much harder to measure. But the cheapest, most efficient marketing channel that you have as a marketer for the restaurant. So you got to use it and build it up. I think it uh, across the board it is that. <laughs> you know, we 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 practice that as well. I think it's a, the familiarity, right? So it's the more that your brand is out in front of people, and the more they see it, they become familiar. That familiarity breeds trust, whether you deserve it or not. And it puts you ahead. So I think that really good sound advice too. The the more that you can be out there bringing to light opportunity, that kind of begs to personalization too. Do you see much of that in the restaurant space? Are you doing a lot of segmentation and coaching clients on that, and to really look at who's the salad eater versus the burger eater, yeah. or however? You see probably less of it in the restaurant industry than I would like to. Um, but it's a lot of work that we do is around that. It's a combination of product propensity and RFM generally. And depending on the technology that, the, that our clients have, we will lean into one more or into the other more. 
And there are a lot of different factors as to what the client may or may not be open to. It's, you know, which stage they are at on their journey with the brand. Are they brand new? Have they been around for a while? Are they lapsing? So it's a combination of all those things. And my my general rule of thumb, which is kind of pulled out of the thin air, but it's a combination of experience and gut feel. I tend to steer brands away from doing any substantial segmentation beyond RFM unless they have over 100,000 users in their database. Because it's a lot of work and you're going to have those tiny little segments and you're going to spend so much money on both your creative agency and my services and you're not going to see the lift you want. If you are in a half a million, million plus, then yeah, we can make a difference. If you have a hundred thousand people in there, just don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> a little plug for Annex Cloud. We, as part of our platform, we actually have the ability to RFM model and segment uh, right in the in the platform. So it's one of it's one of the things I think is kind of cool. Nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, especially with that, it, you want to make sure that is if you, as soon as it smells like somebody's dropping off, you want to be bringing them mm-hmm. back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's been a lot going on in the space too over the last year or so. So much news and you know so much loyalty in the news. Even I think the Today Show has been covering loyalty in the news, which you always love, but you don't always love it necessarily the way they were talking about it. Um, but one of the trends you're talking, that, talking about the Duncan, the Duncan. <laughs> yeah, well, there's Starbucks. that. Yeah, there, there's the. Um, I was going to start on a more positive note, but yeah, the the <laughs> devaluing of, of programs is a toughie. Um, mm-hmm. I know we coach clients on more of a crawl, walk, run. You can always make it more rich through mm-hmm. the promotions that we're talking about, but the core of the program, starting that out. Whether I don't know, more basic is the right word, but don't get out there and be so rich that you're going to have to claw it back. But I'm not close enough to what happened with Duncan to know if it was a financial reason or if it was just an overall positioning change. Curious your take on on that. Yeah, and I, I was not super. Like, I didn't I didn't work with Duncan. Obviously, follow the program and loyalty news yeah. and the. And I, I shared uh, my point of view was, I forget which publication was interviewing the restaurant loyalty experts about this and that. So my my point of view is what Duncan did is completely, completely right from the business perspective. And it was actually reasonably well done from the customer facing approach. It's just when you take things away, people scream. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they, I think that we will see more and more of that. Like we saw it with Starbucks, and we're going to see more programs. And I see among my clients saying, "Hey, we're giving away so much." And the reason is that for a substantial period of time, at least in the restaurant world and possibly in retail as well, um, the brands felt like the low, the base loyalty program is driving frequency and spend. When I don't think it's truly the case for the majority of the customers. There was a percentage of the population that is actually truly motivated by getting this next reward, becoming a silver or a gold peer member. It's a subset. The vast majority, their behavior is not affected by the base program because it's just sitting there in the background. However, if you are if you are looking at uh, those guests that are not motivated by the base program, and you start communicating with them and targeting them with things that are relevant to them, you can actually shift their behavior. 
So, you know, you give me $2 off a milkshake at a brand that I enjoy, I'm, and that expires tomorrow, I'm, I'm more likely to run in and grab that milkshake for my kiddo. Um, but the fact that I'm gathering points underneath it, well, I can get points tomorrow, I can get points next week. It's, it's wonderful to know that I'm getting some rewards on there, but it's not motivating the immediate purchase. Right? But the problem is that when your base program is very, very generous, you have a lot less room in the discount line for throwing those additional offers in there that are more motivating and more transactional and drive visits. So if your base is, I forget what I calculated for them, can I say it was like between 10 and 12%. If you're giving 10 to 12% away, it may be wrong, but maybe a little less than that, but let's say that range, 10%. It was 10% you give away on every single loyalty purchase. You can't double up to 20% no. and throw another offer there. Yeah. Like, it's not just cost margin. With coffee margin, it's loosely possible. If you're looking at food, if it's protein in there, no, no way. <laughs> just uh, So the base programs, have, there is a tendency for the base programs to shrink. And I've been recommending to clients to do as little as you can get away with, but with a generous welcome offer. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're we're kind of on the same page. That's that's really what I've thought of too. And I think it's easier too when you start to, especially when you're launching a new program and you're getting scrutiny from the CFO. I mean, I always run the numbers, like just assume everybody's going to redeem. I mean, you know, that's not going to be the case, but like, let the CFO know that. <laughs> and it, like, it still works, <laughs> but, but we're going to, we're going to claw that back a little bit. Yeah. You have that safety net, but then you also have that ability to to add to those overlays that can really make an impact. It could be a little more surprise and delight, can make people feel like the experience is greater. I think there's a lot more that you can do surgically when you know who the customers are. Yeah. And I think like for me, I would love to spend more time learning about what's happening in the retail loyalty space. I've been so so deep, deep nose down in the in the restaurant world and what isn't isn't possible for restaurants that I haven't had chance to kind of like dive up and look at okay other industries what are people doing what could we borrow what could actually actually work so I'm, i just can't wait until i have like a little bit of fresh air to come up and look at that and see if i can bring it back because i'm sure I, mean, I know that there is just so much more that, that that retailers are doing out there that is like way way ahead of what we're doing in the restaurant world so we're just so behind hey I don't know that that's the case. I think it's different. And I think that when we talk to the retailers there, they I think everybody's struggling. They're struggling with how to make it different, how to make an impact, how to collect the data. One of the things that we're seeing is more data collection. And I was actually thinking about it as you were talking, this concept uh, of like progressive profiling. So mm-hmm. if you have the restaurant app, let's say, and asking more interactive questions. So maybe um, who do you, if uh, making it up like McDonald's, if you, who are you bringing with you uh, to McDonald's? And then they can share their friends or whatever, or maybe you can ask what's your favorite dessert or how do you like your sandwich made or something and be able to collect that information. And then you have that extra data to use for those additional promotions. And so we are seeing more and more retailers begin to do that kind of interactive, kind of fun, quick little surveys to collect that data. I would say maybe that's one thing. Is that anything the restaurants are are doing? Are you seeing them? 
I haven't I haven't done or seen uh, or seen much of that. I think part of it is because if you're truly collecting transactional data, well, I know what Erin's favorite dessert is, right? She ordered it right. six times. <laughs> that'd, that'd be that, right? Um, so there's no point in asking because if you tell me something different from what you actually order, you're probably lying. Um, you think <laughs> you think you eat salad, you actually eat steaks, right? That happens too. So they. Right. What matters is what you actually purchase um, right, in right. the end. Oh, so those. I like, salad, but I always get the Big Mac, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the behavior, like if you have actual behavior there, that's yeah, it would be nice to know that every time Erin comes in to get a salad, she's actually secretly dreaming about uh, about steak. That that would be nice to know, but I don't think you can really get an answer yeah. to the question yeah. from a questionnaire. Yeah, it's kind of like me. I come in, I order a salad, but I wish I got, got the steak every single time. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day we will. Well, another fun trend is this whole subscription thing that we've been yes. seeing with Panera and, and Taco Bell. And, and what, what's your take on that? Is is that creating loyalty or are they, do you think we're going to see more of it? Yeah, I think we're going to see more of it. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's hard to pull off depending on which platform you're on. And it's hard to make it a seamless experience with your ordering app and all, all of that good stuff. So there's a lot of technology that goes into subscriptions, but it's phenomenal. If you have the right model for the subscription, something that actually drives regular visit, something that makes sense for the guest, you're, you're seeing dramatic increases in frequency. But it has to be something that motivates a visit. So if you sell us an extra side, if you, if you would do a subscription to a side of guacamole, probably not going to work very well. If you do a subscription to free coffee, as when I was Panera, that absolutely works. So yeah, you got to pick pick the right product, pick the right the right price point. The product has to be with the right uh, right margins on it, because you can't give away something that is very very high margin generally. Um, it has to be something that drives incremental purchase. So that's why something like a beverage is phenomenal because most people will get something else. But I think we're going to see more and more of that. And there are companies out there that are trying to track that subscription approach even for smaller um, restaurants, which is tricky. Yeah. Subscriptions in the restaurant world, they trigger a lot of unexpected technical moments, such as if you're, let's say, your subscription is just coffee and then somebody comes in and they're like well can i upgrade it to cappuccino and uh, the first person you say oh no we don't do that and the second person you don't do that but when when it's 10 percent of the database suddenly says well can i pay more every time to make it a cappuccino suddenly you're like well what can we do how can we address it and you're in down a very challenging line of both technical and the commercial <laughs> commercial issues and communication issues. Well, to your point on the the friction that you brought up a couple of times is as soon as somebody wants to do something outside of the scope, this great experience that they should be having with the subscription is no longer this great experience because it's not built for have it your way. Yeah. <laughs> So you got to you got to be super careful about what you offer in there and how can you make it uh, how can you adapt it to customer needs. But I think there is there is incredible amount of um, of room for it. And I personally know there is a number of places around my house that I would buy a subscription to, and I would probably go there more 
if yeah. if they did offer a subscription model. Yeah, because as soon as you're thinking about, oh, where should we go? Ding, 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 you're already committed. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot like the just the prime model. You know, you've paid you've paid for it, so you might as well, you know, just just go there. Yeah, and a lot of it is also driven by the growth and delivery and takeaway because subscriptions, particularly for food, um, the del- when you go out for an experience, people tend to have a little bit more variety in terms of trying out different places, trying out new experiences. When you're talking about just food to take away, people tend to lean into predictability. Well, not everybody, but generally, we because you, you don't have the ability to correct that order when it shows up at your door, you're, you want to know what's going to be in that box. So that's where subscriptions come in. And the fact that the society has moved so much to in-home consumption of restaurant-prepared food, that's helping the whole subscription model as well. Do you think, is there a particular price point? I mean, would people do a subscription for lobster versus tacos? Does that play a factor in it at all, you think? I would guess so, but I I haven't worked on that myself. Yeah, I don't know. It just hit me as you were talking. Like, I wonder if there's like a a price elasticity or something to, to that. I would guess less people would sign up for lobster than for tacos, but you know I could be wrong. You got to experiment, <laughs> experiment with that. But it, the one thing for sure, it, it cannot be unless you're doing it for PR purposes. It cannot be a niche product. It has to be something that is very acceptable to the database. To your point, to drive the frequency and the incremental aspect of it. So if you if you created a subscription for something that was more of a destination purchase, if you will. Um, there's less chance of those extra pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, good points. Great. Well, we've covered a, a lot of ground and there's lots going on in the space, which is probably what keeps you <laughs> motivated and smiling all the time. Uh, any any other guidance or advice that you're, you're giving people or trends that you're talking about? Um, I've been bringing up this analogy with a lot of clients um, and prospects over the past few months with respect to using their loyalty programs and making sure you get the ROI from from a loyalty program. Think about your loyalty program as your gym subscription. So you've paid the fees, but you still have to go. <laughs> so it doesn't work, right? doesn't work if you don't do anything. Just because you bought this membership, not going to make a difference. I love that. <laughs> you have to go and there once you when you go there there are different things you can do some are faster some are slower but uh, you still have to show up to see anything out of it just because you bought a subscription it ain't gonna do much <laughs> i always say it's it's anything but set it and forget it you can't just do that and, and hope for goodness yeah you're gonna get a little bit like you set it and forget it, it's gonna get you a little bit and it might even just pay for itself but you're not going to get the impact that you've been advertising to your board by just creating a set and forget it program so yeah you gotta go you gotta go to the gym pick out a couple of machines and be at them for a while <laughs> damn <laughs> well I, that's that's fabulous advice because yeah you've got to be able to make the numbers work but you also have to make it it's a commitment and it's a commitment that's going to be yeah. there forever 
and and that can be scary, but hopefully seeing the outcomes of of what others are doing gives you enough excitement like hey you you can do this and your customers are going to appreciate it your customers are going to spend more they're going to become advocates to your brand and a lot of goodness comes out of loyalty yeah and i think like when you look at the restaurant you you look at the restaurant brands and you're looking at the mid-sized chain that is wondering is my loyalty program doing anything for me cannot do something for me. And the next thing you do, you point them at you point them at McDonald's, you point them at Chipotle, you point them at Starbucks, you point them at you know, other brands in the space that have grown tremendously and have attributed the Panera, attributed so much of their growth to their loyalty program. And well, I'm pretty sure that people working there did go to the gym. They did not put it on set up and forget it. There is a lot of work that went into it. But look how far it's taken them. Because you know, when you when you compare, maybe not McDonald's, but Starbucks was not this giant, all-encompassing thing 20 years ago. Yeah. It was not everywhere. It was not top of mind for absolutely everywhere in the states and even outside the country. And they, of course, the experience made a difference. But loyalty program and marketing within the loyalty program made a difference. Because they're, you know, they're not on traditional media channels. No, they're not. Yeah. They're just using they're just using this pretty much. And street visibility. I haven't really documented the story. I'm not sure anyone has, but from what I remember, they were out with their loyalty program for a long time and they didn't have that many members. It was like five million, it was ten million. The size of Starbucks alone, that was a very, very small number. And they continued to try new things and they tried to different ways to engage and and now they are certainly a program everybody points to when they talk about which is your favorite program because of all the different things that they're doing and the interaction they're doing, even the games, you know, they're yep. they're getting you to interact and play these things that you, why? <laughs> but hey, you're thinking about Starbucks more, right? It's fun to see the different things that they're trying and, and I think it's a really great that they are because I think a lot of people are learning from them too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can I throw a question back at you, Erin? Yeah. Sure. So I'm uh, not super familiar with NX Cloud, but what I would love to know uh, if your customers that are in the restaurant space, what do they love about your platform? What are the features that they use the most? Oh, wow. Well, the RFM piece that I mentioned, I think that helps people do some of that analytics and that segmentation quickly and easily. What I would consider baseline that sometimes is more difficult. We have a lot of flexibility in the platform to be able to to do different kinds of segmentation and promotion based on the different information you're collecting. So if you wanted to do a basket analysis and pull everybody that came in on Tuesday and bought a sandwich and you wanted to send them a promotion to do the same on Thursday, those types of things are pretty easy to set up and, and to trigger. And I think it's the really the flexibility of the system for the marketer because they can just configure whatever they want as quickly mm-hmm. as they want. And if they want to create a new tier, even they can go and do that. And mm-hmm. so it's it's that real ease of use here and now versus having to wait and yeah, you know, spend more money. 
and it's, it's like reasonably self-service so they can do it without too much training and yep. experience yeah yeah people will we'll give some hyper care right when somebody launches and then they're they're on their own we do have customer success folks that stay with and we'll do you be there anytime if they need the help mm-hmm. and we do qbrs yeah. and things like that to help provide some guidance but but no it's uh it's true sass yeah, you want to dream it, hence the dare to dream behind me. You want to yeah. you dream of some cool idea and some concept? Sure, it's just a configuration away. So, I'm looking forward to finding some mutual clients to work on. That will be fun. That'll be exciting, yeah. Yeah, well, well, thanks so much for your time. How do people get a hold of you if they if they want to you learn more and? Super easy, Berlin and convenience, uh, restaurant loyalty specialist.com. There's a button there that says book consult. My calendar comes up. 20 minutes call scheduled right away. Very, very, very easy. You can also ping me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm not hiding. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation. I learned a ton. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. Join us next time for more loyalty insights. Until then... Dare to dream. Let Annex Cloud help make your dreams a reality. Visit AnnexCloud.com. See you soon.